Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Wow, what a great text. You know, um, when we were serving at our first church out of seminary, uh, it was a church in Abilene, a Methodist church called Elmwood West, United Methodist Church. And uh, it was a great church. And one of the first couples that we met when we moved there uh, were the Pyburns. And if that name sounds familiar, uh, this would be the, the brother and sister-in-law of one of our own members, uh, Alton. So uh, originally from the Longworth area, grew up on a little farm out here, um, Dwayne. And uh, so we just fell in love with them immediately. And one of the things that they were retired, Dwayne had been the chief of police uh, there in Abilene and his wife Bobby had been a realtor and done a lot of things and they'd raised their family and so they were in their retirement years when we met them. And uh, you could tell Dwayne was a farmer at heart because his vision for retirement was to, to grab a few acres north of Abilene and to plant an orchard and to plant a big garden. And so he spent every day uh, that except for Sunday, he would go out there and he farmed and he created this beautiful orchard with peach trees and pecan trees and this massive garden. And they would not only feed their family and the families of friends and people around, but they would sell their produce at the farmer's market in Abilene. So every Friday they would go and pick and harvest and do all that in just bushel baskets full of peaches. And, uh, and it was just a, a really neat thing to watch. So, you know, early on, I went out there one Friday and helped pick peaches and those kind of things. And you just got to see the, the fabric of their life and the way that they uh, were a part of bearing fruit and the way that they were a part of sharing that fruit with others. This vision uh, of Dwayne and Bobby and their orchard and their garden, uh, that vision is really close to what the Bible in the Old Testament calls tov. Tov. It's spelled T-O-B like in English, but the B in Hebrew kind of says V. So everybody try your hand at tov. Everybody say tov together. Tov. Yeah, so now you, you've got a Hebrew word in your pocket, and it simply means good. It means good. And so when God is creating the world and he's creating us, and you hear that repeated in Genesis, and God saw that it was Good. And on the seventh day, the seventh time the word is used in the, in the liturgy there, and God saw that it was very good. And so that's what God is pronouncing over everything that he's made is this tov. It is good. It is good. So in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we hear about a garden, uh, as Ryan read for us. And this place is called Eden, and it is truly a paradise. It is the paradise that we've all been looking for. Every utopian society that tries to form on the earth uh, is trying to do this. You know, everyone that's started and failed, uh, all the failed experiments, everybody's trying to get to this version, some version of utopia. This actually was utopia. It was perfect. It was paradise. There was nothing wrong with this world. And each time a feature in the garden is described, we hear God's evaluation of that which he created. Tov. It was good. It was good. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree 
that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So this idea of tov in the Bible is it's pleasant to the senses and it's a production of things that other people need to live. So it's, it's pleasing and it's beautiful, but it's also functional. It's pleasing to the senses and it produces fruit that we can eat and live. It produces shade that we can uh, live under. It's this idea that it's this perfect picture of goodness. You know, because we, we use the word good in all kinds of ways, right? Oh, that was a really good song. And oh, that was a great game. And we, oh, it's good. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, that was a really good hamburger. Uh, we, we say good, you know, a lot of good things in life. But a lot of times it's just something that's just there for me to enjoy. And so that wouldn't fit the biblical picture of good because it was just for me. It wasn't something that was, that was given then to other people. And so uh, God has created this garden. It's a place of dominion where God is at work. And at first, God is likened to a potter. Can you see the image of God sitting, sitting there in his studio and he's spinning this pot? He's making this thing. He's, breathed, he's created something out of dust. And then he breathes life into the nostrils of man. He's filled with the spirit. And then God moves from kind of being a farmer. We get this picture of, um, excuse me, a potter. And we get this picture of God as a farmer. God planted a garden. You know, it's the first thing God did is planted a garden. And so we were from the beginning, we were agrarian. We were making things grow uh, and we were living off the things that were growing all around us. So this is a farmer who plants a garden for the man to have a place to work and to eat and to enjoy life. So this place called Eden, this paradise uh, throughout the Old Testament and it is all in the imagination of God's people. You can see the prophets talking about it. You can read Ezekiel, and there's these similar visions of this, this Eden place where when God restores everything, and Isaiah talks about it, when God makes all things right, uh, it, will be, it will be like Eden again. Everything that we lost in Eden will get back someday. And that was the hope. That was the promise. And really, it's, uh, it's in all of our imaginations as well. I mean, from all the things that are close. We even have, one of my favorite novels is by John Steinbeck called East of Eden. And that's the entire theme of what it was like to live in Southern California uh, during the Dust Bowl and Depression and and what life is for. So, um, I don't know if it's Southern California. My California geography is a little off. Uh, Salinas, it's probably not Southern at all. So anyways, editorial note there. Um, so my, uh, my Old Testament professor, uh, Sandra Richter, she liked to say it this way. She used to say, it's hard for us to imagine just how good this place was and how good it was intended to be. It's just hard for us to imagine because we've never lived in a world like that. So this is a world, this Eden place is a world where just a few things. This is a place where we could grow food, where we could eat food without any weeds uh, without any excruciating toil. Uh, this is a place where we could keep at a comfortable temperature without the need for clothing or blowing the top off of an Appalachian mountain to get coal. Uh, all babies lived in this world, all marriages made it in this world, and everyone in this world lives to see their great, 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 great grandchildren. This is the world that God created, this paradise that God intended. And you and I who live here, uh, it all starts with this fundamental goodness. You and I at our most basic core of who we are 
is not the evil broken pieces that we will learn about next week that come into the story later. But fundamentally, you and I are tov. We are fundamentally good. And God made us that way. We all come from Eden. Is one place I like to think about it. We all come from the same place. We all come from Eden. So in fact, the only thing that God does, deems as not good in everything that he's looking at and evaluating in the garden, the only thing he says is not good is the possibility that man would be alone. The lack of relationship is the only thing that's not good. And so uh, the way the story is told here, uh, God, who is a relationship of persons, desires a corresponding goodness for humanity. And uh, so God begins to work on this. And by the way, you'll notice a very different, you know, we've been looking at Genesis 1 the last two weeks. Now we're looking at Genesis 2, and it looks like a totally different way of telling the story. And we're right to question, well, gosh, why did this happen first in this story? And then this happens first in the second part. And the easiest way, I think, to answer that for readers of the Bible, for us, is to remember that when you're telling a story that, that they weren't there to witness, you're, you're just painting this, this portrait. And it's just like, why is Mark's gospel different from John's gospel? Well, John's telling a different, he's telling the story in a different way. It's the same Jesus, it's the same life, but it's a very different way of telling the story. Same with Genesis 1, Genesis 2. So uh, here we are in the, in the second one. But So God says in response to this, you know, we get in on God's thinking again, which is really cool. You know, last week we talked about it was in God's mind uh, that he would create us. Let us make uh, humans in our own image, male and female, he created him. And, and so we get, we get to, in on what God is thinking, what God is desiring. And so here, God, we get in on God's logic. He says, hey, it's not good. It is not, Tov, that man should be alone. So there's, we were created for something more. And so not only a relationship with God, but a relationship with other people. And so God says, I will make a helper corresponding to the man. Now, our word helper just kind of sounds to me as always sound like it's, it's just sort of like I've already got it figured out, but you just kind of help me when I need help, right? And, and that is not the biblical idea of the helper, the ezer. This is basically, this is the person that if you're going on a journey, this is the one person that you're making sure is going with you. It's like, I'm going to climb Everest, but if this person can't go, I'm not going. I'm going to go hike through the mountains and if this person's not available, I'll pick a different week. I'm going to go walk the Camino in Spain. And if this person can't go, I'm not going. I'm going to have a child. And if this person's not available, I'm not doing it. Because that's the idea of helper. So it's like in the Lonesome Dove story, it's Joshua Dietz. Captain Call is not going to Montana without Josh Dietz. There's no way. He's just not going to do it. Uh, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, Frodo is not going to Mordor without Sam. It's not going to happen. And Sam is this dependable person who's always there. It's not just this quasi-helper. He's there all the time. Uh, or maybe if you're a Harry Potter fan, this would be like Ron Weasley. You know, he's just, he's just there. He's dependable. So this is what God means by this kind of helper. And so at the end of the chapter, we find this strong couple. You know, this is a strong couple. And they're farming together. If you've ever grown anything with someone else, you know this is hard work. They're farming together, they're having children together, and they're bringing life to all around them. They have been instructed to be fruitful and to multiply. So they're working at that. And to round it all out, the chapter ends, and they were naked and they were unashamed. 
Isn't it beautiful? They're just, they're just living this perfect life and everything is ordered. There's no shame in the garden and we're just doing our work. So we were told to be fruitful and multiply and this is really God's vision for blessing the world that he created is that the fish and the birds and, and there's this multiplication factor. And so the multiply part we get, I mean, that's having families, that's being a grandma, that's being a foster parent, that's being a parent, that's doing all the things that we do to bring life into the world through children. We're growing our family. We're, we're bringing in the cousin that didn't have a place to live. We're, that's our family. That's the multiply part. Uh, we get that. So we see that happening. But there's another part of be fruitful and multiply, and it's be fruitful. So what does it mean to be fruitful? And again, this goes back to the, the Tove vision of the orchard and the garden, and this is what uh, it means to be fruitful. And so for God's people, there's always been a call to be fruitful, to be like the tree. You know, that's our job description, is to be like the tree. We grow, we are healthy, we're rooted. And Paul uses this imagery, right? We're rooted and established in Jesus. We're rooted and grounded in love. And this, and this thing is growing always inside of us. And the life of Jesus that's growing in us is giving life to other people. Other people can receive the fruit and the shade and everything that's happening in our lives. That's the be fruitful part. We, when we are tove, we are pleasant to the senses and we are producing fruit. That's, that's the vision. So you can look around you and see the biblical idea of tove and the lives of other people and the lives of people that you know. And, uh, you know, we're, we have some folks joining the church at the end of the service today. And in talking to them this morning and looking at them and, and just seeing their lives, it's basically like we're asking them to be fruitful. That's the whole criteria of church membership is we're not asking you to join and then just sit in the pew and do nothing. We're saying jump in and be part of the orchard, be part of the garden, grow things, build things, make things, and share with the world. That's the vision for church membership. That's what we all signed up for. Uh, and so we renew our commitment to do the same. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week, but it doesn't take a genius to know that very often we do not recognize, we do not experience tov or goodness in the lives of other people, right? And we have a million examples of this. This is the easy story. This is a story that no one has to remind us of. We have to be reminded of Eden because we don't live in Eden anymore, right? And so, um, you know, one little example, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that uh, kind of from the airlines world, and if any of you have flown recently, you can probably attest to this, but the FFA, excuse me, the FFA, you can tell I was in ag too long. The FAA uh, has initiated more than 750 investigations this year related to unruly passengers, okay? So you can parse that out and know what they mean. They're investigating over 750. That's just this year so far. In 2019, in the entire year, there were 146 investigations. So that just shows you, maybe we're at like seven times the tension and chaos and like not tove uh, in, in our expression in the world. And so, of course, there's many. That's not even to mention just the big, heavy stuff, the fear of death, um, the fear of not having enough that we see in the lives of people all around us. And then that's also not to mention the places inside of ourselves that we recognize the absence of tove, you know, and it breaks our hearts, and, and we, here we are. And so it's... it's uh, 
as we kind of turn and, and look back on the Garden of Eden and we wonder where we are now, where we're headed, and we, we pick up the story of Jesus. And I think everywhere Jesus walked, everything he did, he restores a little bit of Eden. Don't you see Jesus restoring a little bit of paradise? The person that was never able to see, Jesus comes along and boom, they can see. And so we begin to understand what heaven is going to be like and sort of this restoration of Eden uh, by watching Jesus and what Jesus does. When someone is troubled by an unclean spirit, Jesus doesn't tolerate that. He doesn't let that exist in his presence, so he runs them off. Uh, when someone is burdened, Jesus carries that burden for them. And then ultimately, he deals with uh, the greatest burden we carry uh, by going to the cross and by destroying death. And so Jesus walks among us today. He teaches among us today. He heals among us today. And I think one of his teachings that really picks up on this theme of tov really well is is the following theme in Mark chapter 4. And so I'm going to read from Mark chapter 4. And Jesus is, uh, he's trying to describe for his disciples and anyone who will listen what the kingdom of God is like, what we should be up to. And so uh, he tells a story. He says, hey, I'm going to tell you guys a, a parable, right? He's a, there's a farmer. And he goes out to sow his seed. And you remember the story. And he, and he tells these four different scenarios for what happens to the seed. Some of it uh, doesn't even get to germinate because the birds come by and snatch it up. And then other seed, uh, it grows up and it does okay for a little while, but it's rooted really shallow and it's among the rocks and it doesn't do well. And when it gets really hot, it, that plant doesn't make it. And then we get a third scenario where the plant grows healthy and the seed germinate. Everything works well, except there's weeds and thorns and there's all this competition. There's all this weed pressure. And so that plant doesn't do very well. It doesn't produce fruit. And then he talks about a fourth scenario. We'll talk about it in a minute. So then Jesus kind of unpacks that for his disciples. They're asking questions we don't understand. And he said, well, the sower sows the word. And in the first scenario, the ones that fall along the path, the word is sown, they hear, they hear, but Satan immediately picks up the seed and takes away the word that was sown. So that seed can't do its job because it's gone now. Uh, the second scenario, then there are the ones that are sown on rocky ground. Those, they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they don't have enough root to endure. So when tribulation comes, when difficulty comes, and persecution comes, they immediately fall away. The third scenario grows up with the weed pressure and the thorns. They're the ones that hear the word, but uh, Jesus says the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word. And listen to what Jesus says. And it proves unfruitful. So the calling to be fruitful. Jesus says in this scenario, all three scenarios, there's no fruit that's being born. But we hear about a fourth scenario. And, we, you know, again, we know all about crop failure. We know all about the world that we live in. It's too typical. We understand the whole, we read those and we go, yep, we've seen that. Yep, we've seen that. Yep, I feel that right now. The pressure's uh, crowding in. But the fourth scenario, Jesus says, but those that were sown on good soil, tov, the seed that's sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and they bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Isn't that a great picture? 
uh, Jesus says, look, I know you look at the world around you and it's 75% of the scenarios are not good. They don't, they're not promising and they're very discouraging. But we hold out hope for the, that last seed, that 25% that germinates and it grows because it's in the good soil. And then God takes it from there, right? It's, it's all his work of multiplication. And so this is the vision of being fruitful, the couple that I told you about at the beginning of the sermon, uh, you know, when I think of that little farm and I think of their lives, they look the same to me. Their, their lives look like the farm and their farm look like their lives. And uh, they, they lived this way. So what their farm did, they corresponded. So th- this is exactly what you could expect from them on a Monday afternoon, uh, just like you could expect that if it was a good year uh, and, there, and the frost didn't come too early, that you'd have peaches and you wouldn't run out all summer. You could just count on it. That's the kind of life that they lived. They, they were bearing fruit and something would be growing. Even in the worst year, there would be something always growing in that garden. I think we read these scriptures and we hear Jesus talk about the types of soil and the, how easy it is to for the seed to not grow and how difficult it is to have good soil in our hearts. The good news of the gospel reminds us that God never stops farming. That's the good news, right? God never stops sowing seed. He doesn't get discouraged when we fail to bear fruit. He comes right back around in the next planting season and is wasteful with the amount of seed that he sows. It's, it's bad farming practice. It's, there's no precision. God is wildly generous with the seed that he sows. The word of God that goes forth, God is extravagant. And so when, just when we think that we have, have lost hope and will never be good soil, God sows even more seed and we get, we get to go again. And we're all the while, we're, we're developing this matter that allows us to be good soil. And the word of God is changing us and transforming us. God never stops farming. He's the farmer that goes out to sow season after season, day after day. Remember what Jesus said. He said, I am the vine. Y'all are the branches. My father is the farmer. He's the one that makes it grow, right? I'm, I'm here and I prune and I clean and I cultivate and I make sure that weed pressure goes away, but God is the one that grows. He's the farmer. And so the way back, the way to the good soil, the way to Tove, when we feel like we've just entirely lost it and we'll never find it again, the way back always starts with Jesus. It always starts with grace. It starts with receiving this grace and allowing God to cultivate an Eden inside of us, to grow these trees that are pleasant to the senses and they're full of life for others. That's the vision that we have in the scriptures. So may that vision captivate us. May we be uh, the good soil that is constantly growing what God is wanting to farm in this world. And may we find joy, may others find life Let us pray. God, we see the heavenly picture that began in Eden. And we're all too familiar with what has been lost. 
and what we wonder if can ever be recovered. But as you plant hope inside of us, as you plant a desire to live forever, to live with you, to experience heaven in our midst, and to experience heaven when this body gives out. And we thank you for that. And so for the distance that we feel and for the absence of tov that we experience, would you bring your grace? Would you encourage us today? Would you heal us today as we leave these burdens that get in the way between us and good soil, as we leave those burdens at the altar today? Would you heal us and would you just bring that round of planning one more time? We thank you for your generosity and the goodness of Jesus. And we stand amazed at your work. And we are grateful for this in Jesus' name.